It's The Setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And I am charging my watch. You're charging your watch? Yes. So I can never get on. That's why I can. I probably never get on board with an Apple Watch, personally, uh-huh. is because I just don't I just don't want to charge another thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I also don't have AirPods, because I don't want to charge another thing. AirPods I love. AirPods are true, truly great. I'm products. sure I will get them, but they're expensive, and I don't want to charge stuff. <laughs> You know what? You kind of sh- you probably should get them get some kind of reliable headphone before Scotland. I have reliable headphones. Oh, okay. But they're the kind you plug in. Ugh, that being said, you mean with wires? I know, like an asshole. Oh my god. Uh, that being said, I do have I, I do run into problems where I want to charge my phone and listen to stuff at the same time, and now I can't do that. See, there you go. So yeah, I kind of need to get them. I mean, it's kind of like if you don't get them, everyone will laugh at you, right? In Scotland yeah. when you arrive, right, right. But I mean, is that know, what they do when you go to Scotland? They go, "What kind of air? Uh, what kind of earbuds do you have?" What kind of air- <laughs> whatever? <laughs> we'll do it after the month when my Scottish accent is right. refreshed. Will I come back with a Scottish accent? Doubtful. Okay. <laughs> you could. Um, um, happy birthday! Oh, thank you very much. It's your birthday this it was, past it was, Wednesday. Yes, it was. Um, uh, I had a good birthday. We did an escape room we on the did. weekend. That was really fun. Very fun. Yeah, some really cool stuff. In there. Um. We, I think we can both recommend Quest Rooms, Quest Rooms in yeah. Los Angeles. Um, in, uh, in Koreatown. Um, really good. They we've, too- we've almost done all the rooms in that place. Yeah, we have. Uh, <laughs> just going to do Party Hard, baby. Yeah. Um, so before we jump into the magic, I do have to check in. Because uh, last time we talked on this podcast, uh, you had expectations for but had not yet seen Endgame. And now you've seen it. Ah, I sure. I a quick... Just a quick uh, summary. We didn't really talk you about it You know what yesterday. I was thinking? I, I, I'll give I, you a quick summary, and then we can do a, a separate bonus episode for people that want to hear our thoughts, about, full thoughts about Endgame. I thought that'd be fun. That'd be cool. Because um, we have to get a little buffer of episodes anyway, because I'm going to Sydney. Right. We do need to. Uh, um, um, so <laughs> we can talk about a topic that's completely unrelated to the theme of this podcast. Right. Uh, but I liked Endgame um, a lot. I actually think that... Um, really? Yeah. I think that it's um, it's more like... I liked it, and I but I think it's very good considering the degree of difficulty. Right, especially I think I, I mean yes, I think a lot of people were happy with how good it ended up being, how difficult that would have been to put together, especially next to Game of Thrones, which I know people are disappointed with right now. It's funny, uh, hap- them happening at the same time is really helping Avengers Endgame seem like right, like a really that they really stuck the landing. Um, I you know it's funny, I uh, I heard Kevin Smith on on one of his podcasts uh-huh. give a review of it, um, and he was saying. Uh, he goes, if I was J.J. Abrams making the last Star Wars movie, I'd be sweating right now. Yeah. Just because, like, you know, the uh, the bar is so high now for a big epic cinematic conclusion of the story. I mean, the the only reason that I wouldn't be sweating if I was him is that um, immediately after him, the guys from Game of Thrones are making three more. <laughs> so, like... Oh, three more Star Wars movies? They've been hired to write the next Star Wars trilogy. Oh, is that... A- Yes. Is that in the works? Yes, and apparently that's why they requested that these last seasons be short. Which, you know, a lot of people are like, one of the reasons these seasons suck is because they're so short and right. they're having to compress everything. It, those guys were offered 10 episodes a year for mm-hmm. these last two, and they, they were, for eight, they were like, no, we'll just do it in six. Right. Because the, the rumor is that they wanted to move on to like start writing the Star Wars oh. thing. They were, um, apparently HBO was also like, you can have more seasons. Like, Right. The the show makes money for it. It's like the the course, premier the show. One, yeah. Um. So it goes crashing and then yeah, Game of it Thrones, goes crashing, which has been canceled. Uh, uh, but right now, I would say Barry is better than Game of Thrones. Uh, I never finished season one of Barry. I need to go back and finish. it. Oh, you definitely should. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Endgame was great. Uh. I had the more I think about it, the less. Um, well, sure. here, the more here, you think about it, the more you scrutinize the plot, that the more and more plot holes you can find. Yeah. Uh, and that I think is going to be a necessary evil with any movie that gets as fantastic as that one does. Like I think as that's, in, in, in scope, I think that is generally true. I also, um, I, I am even more convinced that plot holes don't really matter for whether or not you like a movie. They are the thing that you latch onto when you don't like a movie and you say, Oh, I didn't like it because this was unbelievable. But everybody has things that they love where they, like skim over the plot holes the, right. that the plot holes. And I, I would say end game is one where, uh, sorry to start a little timer. Right. I, uh, <laughs> I would say end game is one that, um, 
I would say the majority of people don't care that much about the plot holes in it. There's significant like problems with like wait that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. and I I just don't think people care because I feel like emotionally it hit the right notes. Which for is something I've been finding this last week, even with Game of Thrones. If I can emotionally connect to something, I'll be very forgiving of certain plot yeah. problems. Um, especially given that I I binged the last uh, t- three seasons uh, or season six and seven of Game of Thrones yeah. really quickly to lead up to this one. Yeah. Um, there's so much stuff I'd forgotten from the earlier season, so many minor characters that I kind of recognize but don't know anything about, and they'll always make a quip to like a season two thing that I won't remember what that is. Yeah. So I find that I don't have a, I don't feel a lot of ownership over the characters. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel like I'm entitled to a certain, like, well, I care about them all this much, so I need this sort of ending. Right. So I haven't really been that upset with the episodes of uh, recently that you know, in the way a lot of people have been. I've just been more upset because it's it's hacky. Like... There's a couple of things that I find very tiresome in action, like oriented. See, and they they do this in Marvel movies too. But like one is a person's about to, a person is on the ground and they're about to get executed mm-hmm. by the enemy. And then at the last moment, a third person comes in and like stabs them through the the chest right. or shoots them or whatever that they get saved in some way. Right. There's I a can tolerate a few of those. A lot of them. But there's a lot of those. Well, what I will say, something, you know, I think people are giving it a lot of crap for like, oh, you know, why is this character doing this? Why is this character doing this? I think there's always kind of been some of that. Maybe not in big, Mm. like, political scenes. Yeah, that makes sense. I I was watching an episode last night with my mom. Um, uh, She's kind of going back through watching the older ones because she doesn't remember a lot of this as I started binging it. So Uh she's now, in like three weeks, she's gotten, um, she just finished season five last night. Oh. And so she was watching the episode of season five. I can't remember the name of the battle, but it's where Jon Snow leads the wildlings and they fight all the White Walkers. And they rise again? Uh, yeah. The, the, uh, hard home. Hard home. Thank you. So at one point, he's, Jon Snow's fighting one of those bearded White Walker generals, right? And the guy uses his you know weird magic sword to destroy whatever sword Jon Snow is holding, mm-hmm. right? Because he doesn't know that Valyrian steel can you know, kill the White Walker or whatever. And so then he destroys it. Jon Snow goes, huh, and he's startled for a second. And then this general hits him with the back of a spear, the blunt end, knocking him off the ledge they're on, giving Jon Snow a chance to escape. Instead there of was, just killing there him. There was no reason for him to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that I, 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 I watch that and I go, you know, and I'm watching a lot of battles in these season four or five that happen like this. I started thinking, like, a lot of people are giving this show shit for, like, convenient ways characters are or are not dying. But I feels like it's always been there a little bit. I think that it gets worse as the seasons go on. That may be true. Because the season one ends with a character very inconveniently not getting out of getting yes. killed. And, 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 and that was obviously the, those, yeah. And that was a like kind of... Um, very well earned. Yeah, and that was the thing that people were like, holy shit, this show is like right. going to be very interesting. Um, okay, let's put... I, I'm ha- Let's put the Avengers talk into a separate bin. Right. Uh, because I do have questions about specific plot holes. Cool. Uh, uh, and then I also, one thing before we get into magic. Oh, yeah, sure. Is last night I saw this documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. Oh, I, I uh, we almost saw that the other day. It yeah. was beautiful. It was really, really, really oh, good. Cool. I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, it was really touching. It was very, very good. Does uh, it change, like, uh, are you going to eat better or something i or? might i honest to god I, like there's a moment where i'm like man should i be should i be a vegan <laughs> oh uh, it was just a really it, it wasn't so much like it, and that was actually you know now that you mentioned it which was very good about it it was, was not preachy uh-huh. um, i didn't feel preachy it was really just kind of felt like these people's inner path to um to sort of harmony and it was really really nice those of you that don't know it's a documentary about a uh, a married couple that bought a farm in moore park california and they had the sort of dream to um, to make this totally sustainable farm that kind of exists in this sort of harmonious nature uh, way the way nature does. And so all these animals would sort of coexist, and all these plants would sort of coexist. And they would kind of um, and they wouldn't use pesticides, and they wouldn't sort of build like we're gonna make a farm where we sell apples. They kind of wanted to have all these sort of aspects of nature that all kind of coexisted and survived off of each other. And they, uh, it's a, you know, it's a nice ninety-minute documentary. Very, very good. Really, really interesting, and uh, cannot recommend it enough. It was really, that, really delightful. That sounds good. I mean, I like um, uh, sort of fly on the wall documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how. Uh, like, there's that used to be a much bigger thing of documentaries that just sort of um, dispass. I don't know how dispassionate this is, but like. 
It was but, pretty. I, I think actually one of the the the, the husband made it. Uh-huh. Uh, or he had a big part in making because he was a cameraman. Oh, uh, okay. And so the, the 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 whole premise is that they got they rescued a dog, um, and then the dog barked too much and they got evicted from their apartment. And that was when they and they didn't but they didn't want to give up the dog. Uh huh. Um, they kind of couldn't find another place where it wasn't going to bark and it, where it wasn't going to be a problem. So that's when they go into this farm and they go, how can you know? Um, that's when they f- decide to go for this dream and uh, it, it was really nice. I I don't know. Look it up. That's cool. Very good. Uh, the uh, biggest little farm. Biggest little farm. Yeah, it's right now only playing at ArcLights. So it was actually just great timing. I was leaving your house yesterday. I got gas, and then my mom texted me. And goes, we're gonna go see a movie. Um, could you know just let you know? We're gonna, and then I go, oh, what are you seeing? And I go, we're gonna go see this the ArcLight Pasadena. And I went, oh, I don't have any plans. So I just drove up and met them, and it was really delightful. Oh, they drove in from their their place to Pasadena. Yeah, because oh. uh, it's only right. I believe right now it's only playing at ArcLights. There are some Lemleys closer to us, but I don't think it has it yet. Ah, okay. But if you were to go to the ArcLight Hollywood, that wouldn't be. Um, oh, actually, one more non-magic thing to recommend. Last night, uh, we were also in Pasadena. We oh. were at the Rose. Oh, you saw Puddles, right? We saw Puddles' I saw Twitter Eric's party. Post. Yeah. Uh, we, we he's magic good. adjacent. Yeah, because he's, he's variety like, arts. He's, uh, uh, I know he's good friends with Erica Larson, so he shows up a lot of her Brooklyn Follies. And so, uh, okay. He, I think he's magic adjacent. At the, the at the end of the show, one of the songs he posts, uh, like the screen has photos with him and uh, famous people. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. It was like... In makeup? Yeah. Oh, them not in makeup, but him. But, but it was like right. John Hamm and then like Reggie Watts and then like Kevin Costner and then like Rob Zabrecki. Ah, <laughs> I was like, oh. And there was someone over Rob Zabrecki's shoulder that looked like another magician that mm-hmm. I didn't recognize. But like glasses, floppy hair guy. But um Fitzgerald? Maybe. The blonde? Mm, Sandy Brown hair. Anyway, he was great. Uh that club's really weird. The crowd was really weird. I saw Eric's post that he was like fucking terrible crowd. Well, we left and I was like, this crowd feels like they're a Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville crowd. Oh. Like it was like Hansy? Well, a, co- a couple of things. One is that the people were talking a lot. Mm-hmm. We were sat right next to a woman that would be like, it, he has jokes and stuff in the show, and she would kind of go like, oh, that's like, they mentioned a quote from a movie, and she'd be like, oh, that's from this movie. And then when he, he sings really loud, he's got a really powerful voice. Right. Isn't he like 6'5 or something? Yeah, he's very I tall. I had no idea. I've never been, seen him in live. Yeah, so it's definitely worth so seeing tall. his show. Um, he started singing louder. The music got louder, and she raised her volume to continue her conversation above that. It was very annoying. And there were like multiple people like that throughout. And also the way they related, in fact, the way they related to him reminded me of the way like a drunk castle audience relates to the magician oh that's funny because like there's a bit where he's pushing a chair around and it takes a long time and i i saw him at the fringe so that's the most like hipstery artsy crowd they're they're used to like clowning and like european style clowning and all this stuff um here it's a funny bit he's pushing this chair around it takes a long time and then <laughs> the crowd starts going like you got it dude like go like it was just it was encouraging but in a weird way like not right fun uh and then there was a drunk lady who he comes out in the audience a couple times and gets volunteers i guess that's magic adjacent um and she would like try to like hug him as he was walking around like he would she was like in front of us stalking him basically oh my god and then at the very end he brought some of his volunteers up to take a bow and she, you could see her approaching the stage, uh, like arms up, wanting to sort of be part of it too. And you could also see security start to be like, "Okay, that lady's crazy." We're gonna oh, wear out. And then at the very end, she like walked up on stage and like tried to hug him, and he kind of like took a bow and like zipped off. And then like security was like, "All right, you need to leave the stage." Wow. So when you say handsy, I thought that was funny because they kind of were like that. Hmm. Um, but anyway, Puddles is great. He's got a great voice. He's actually done a pretty, uh, I think, significant achievement, which is I think now he has a more mainstream crowd, uh, and he has snuck into his act. It's basically like a stealth uh, delivery vehicle for European-style clowning. Mm-hmm. So like, he's got an amazing voice. The songs are great. Uh, and then in between them, he does just like the same clowning that you you're gonna see at Fringe this year, right? Where which it's, it has no real analog in America, um, and he's getting all these people to like pay money to go right. see it. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, 
it is interesting to think to think about like what happens to you when your audience starts to grow because he went pretty or he made an impression i don't know how far he went on america's got talent no not that far i think but it Um, seems like his clip like got yeah it looks like that audition might have gone viral but i know i i was actually a little surprised it didn't go for i can't remember how far he went i think that was the last season i actually watched the show before i just stopped um i don't watch it anymore but uh you're gonna be on it (laughs) Uh, well this the thing is is like does being on something like that um give you uh oh i was also thinking about um tape face mm. who was who is a fringe clown like that i saw tons of times right and um then now is a bigger phenomenon yeah and when i was in 2017 i think about a year after he was on that maybe eh, maybe more uh he was he had a show when i was in london he had a show at the west end mm-hmm. um so he's was, at least in 2017 he was doing fine yeah so my question is what happens to you when your crowd starts to expand beyond like kind of like the people you want to be your crowd, right? Because <laughs> I last night, I I mean I'm sure that he's happy to have a lot to reach lots of people and blah, right. blah, blah blah. But like, do you change your act? I, I don't know. I, I know uh, I've heard Pete Holmes talk about this. I think he and Todd Barry had this sort of debate when Todd Barry did the podcast. I haven't listened to this episode about whether you should. Well, whether your act should work everywhere, right? Uh, you know, and he goes and, and uh, Pete Holmes's perspective was that you're going to kind of even unconsciously create an act to play for the, you know, if, if you're doing, if you're traveling across the country doing, you know, biker bars, mm-hmm. you're going to write a different kind of act yeah, because you don't want to feel pain. And if you're bombing all the time, right. because, oh, this is what I think is funny and this has to work everywhere. You're going to, you're, you're going to feel pain. Yeah. And um, you're going to sort of, was Todd Berry of the other, uh, of the other, I, I don't really know. I, I know I've basically only heard that through the perspective of, um, he said that he and Todd Barry had sort of debated about this, uh-huh. and this was kind of his perspective. Maybe Todd Barry isn't like diametrically the opposite view, but uh, I, I, so I, I can't really comment on that. I haven't, I haven't heard it. I've just sort of heard him recount that to other people on the podcast uh-huh. before. I would love to hear it though. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, I'm sure that you do that. Um, I and mean, I, I, Todd Barry does strike me as the kind of comedic style that would kind of be unflinching to the type of you know. Yeah, I don't see him. I don't want to say pandering, but I don't see him like, oh, you know, this is a little drunker. Well, I guess I'm breaking this out tonight. Right, right, right. I feel like he's just, I'm going to do my act. I think Todd Berry's also more comfortable, uh, not necessarily bombing, but like kind of sitting in the discomfort of something not going well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see Pete Holmes not being as comfortable with that. (laughs) I actually not watched the third season of Crashing. Uh, It's good. Yeah. It's really good. Um. Did you see or do any magic this week? Um, I didn't do much magic uh, or see much. Magic. What did I? What did I do this? <laughs> or week? think about it? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, uh, it was the low, ma- uh, um, uh, quiet magic week for me. I oh. do have a couple things though. Oh sure. You know, actually, last night at about midnight, I started writing an essay um, that might, uh, my, uh, if I can turn that into something in my friend show, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but I, I I was ready to talk about it. And now I'm because what I did was on the way home from the movie I saw I had this idea and I turned off the radio and I was kind of like talking out this idea. Have you ever do you ever do that? Uh, no. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I did, and so I was like, hold on, I want to let me flood, let me you know flush this out a little bit more. Uh, I only do that for like song ideas and stuff like that. Got it. But. Um, I've never ever written songs in my life, so <laughs> don't do that. But I so I was I turned off the radio. I'm kind of just talking out loud to myself, and then I kind of I liked what I said, and so that I went, oh, I don't want to forget this. So I had a little podcast recording app on my phone called Anchor, mm-hmm. and I just recorded myself for like ten minutes talking through this idea. Uh-huh. Then I got home and started writing it out, um, and so uh, yeah. What's the f- uh, what form do you think? this will take like it's thoughts that might go into the fringe show but it's thoughts that i that might turn into something for the fringe show but i think honestly if i just you know if i could just uh i I think ideally if i could just write it as an essay and even like submit it somewhere like for like genie magazine or something you know that would be amazing or even just to have i mean not that that's pretty high aspiration even just to have it and kind of put it out i was thinking about finishing it and you know simon cornell writes a lot of articles about his experiences is, uh, that are really nice and i was thinking of sending it to him and being like what do you think about this well i think also it would be fun to start the setup paper edition which Ooh, is yeah, the, the setup newspaper because actually what i do love looking at these old magic um like self-published 
newsletters that it seems like every once in a while people like really get in their head to like make the jinx or make this one called chicanery or where it's like me and my friends are going to print up like an eight page newsletter, staple it together. And if you send me $3 to this address, I'm going to send you one. Right. Like I find those super fun to read. Yeah, they can be. Um, and it seems like every couple years, guys have a little group and they're like, we're going to change magic by like making our newsletter. Because right. uh, Helder had one for a little while. Yeah. Um, that I think that just ended. We got to go see his show. Oh, is it going right now? Yes, I oh, it's yeah. yeah. We Actually, we see need it. to see it before I leave yeah. Sydney. Uh, you leave June 30th? Uh, no, May 31st. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And you're gone for all of June. I'm gone for all of June. Oh, boy. Um, I also need to... The, the, the I think I mentioned this, but there's two magic shops in Sydney. Oh, cool. And there's like one or two magic venues to see shows. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to bring my stuff that I think that I'm going to do for my audition. I'll check is, Simon and ask him about uh, yeah, that'd be great. Sydney magic life. Uh, my audition is July 8th. Okay. So basically, what I'm hoping to do is sort of go with... Uh, the stuff I need to do my audition and just sort of like in my off time in Sydney, just kind of sit there and practice it a bunch. And also I'm going to like show my, the the people in the show, Mm -hmm. they're basically going to be my like test audience for the whole month or whoever I can just drag in to be like, here, watch this. Right. Um, so yeah, we do need to see a Helder show. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Uh, Uh, Have you heard anything about it? I've heard some good reviews about it. I have a, LA Times article that I haven't read yet, and mm-hmm. they really liked it. They wish there was a. They they really liked it. They said their only thing was that they wish there was a little bit more theater in it. Uh, um, they, <laughs> oh, oh my god! They uh they, but I think that's what you're gonna get from a. I hope they critic. weren't like, you know, right. It should really be like this other show that right. I saw in the same theater. Yeah, that, oh, that would be very funny. Um, I wonder if they saw each other's shows. No way, right? No way. No way. There's yeah. no way. I, that's why you know. Like sunglasses and a hat in the back row. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I did see a magic show once where a guy used those like real face things. You know what I'm talking about? Like um, those latex masks that are very realistic. Seriously? Yeah. Um, like in Mission Impossible. Yeah. Like Game of it was. It was a fun idea, um, but uh, basically it was a video projection of like, Hey guys, uh, I'm still getting ready backstage, but we're going to take you through a trick right now. Oh yeah. And it was like a number, you know, get three audience volunteers up here. Yeah. That guy did that on Penn and Teller. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. That's my, if it's the same guy, it's my friend Chris from London. Yeah. And then he's one of the volunteers. Right. Yeah. And he bring, he comes off as like a big black guy. Yes. Yeah. He changed that later. Yeah. And then uh, like Tyrone or something. It was not a... Yeah. He changed it to an old white guy at some point. Yeah. Uh, and uh, something about those masks, I think you kind of still have to wear sunglasses all the time. Yes. He, had, he wore sunglasses on Penn and Teller. Yeah. It didn't... And that was... You know, it's funny. That wasn't the first season of that show when they were in England. If you watch the, uh, if you watch the first season... Uh-huh. Comparing it to later seasons when they're in America, the way they talk to the magicians afterward is very, very different. It's more, oh. it's more adversarial in the UK. They'll just bust you. They'll say the method. Interesting. Like when that guy comes up, he goes, um, he goes, let me ask you a question. Uh, question. He goes, oh, so obviously you, you got yourself up on stage. And he turns to the audience and he goes, how many people knew that, that was him when this person walked up on stage? Ooh. And like a 20%, 30% of the audience raised their hand. And he goes, okay, well, unfortunately, one of those people was Teller. He whispered it to me as you're walking up on stage. So then the question is, how did you get yourself up on stage? And like the guy used a bunch of ping pong balls, all had uh-huh. seats on him. So then what he did was, uh, he goes, he Penn starts reaching into the bucket, pulling out ping pong balls. He goes, who's sitting at this seat? Who's sitting at this seat? Oh and no goodness. one's doing anything. He goes, so so he busted it by showing that like no, these seats weren't in, actually in the theater. So then when he you know pulled out this, he just walked up. Um, wow. Knowing no one else would, and so. Uh, so he was. They would do a lot more of stuff like that, where it was just like, "You did this. We think you did this." Eesh. And now in in America, they've softened it, and it's like, "You're so good. We love you. You're the best magician we've ever seen." Also, uh, and then like they'll, you know, right. And then the they'll code. use like a pun to right. reveal the method. Right. Um, what was the one that he used? Just be like, "Got him." Right. They they said one one time that was like, you know. I don't know if you've ever seen seven bald men without a comb or something. <laughs> and it was like a reference to some like old routine that okay. somebody had done. Um, all right. All right. Well. Um, so we have to, so before the month is up, we have to take, you said my, like the promo photos I'm going to do for the French show, right? Yes. Okay. So here's my next thing. And I even wrote this down. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think I should shave? 
Uh, uh, I have a goatee right now for anyone that doesn't know. Yes. Inst- follow on Instagram. I, I may pull the Instagram audience. I have a goatee, and uh, I love it. And yeah. we're about to take the promo shot that'll be used for like the poster and stuff. Right, which means you should probably should keep it, whatever we decided to do. Right, whatever whatever it is, I, I'm, I'm basically committing now to yes. what I'll look like in August. Um, I'm somewhat indifferent about it. I mentioned it to Eric, and he said, well, and you take this however you want to take it. <laughs> he said, well, it does make him look more magician-y. I uh, look like my own evil twin. He, he meant that as a positive thing. Right. Um, uh... I think it's fine. I think that uh, it. You know what? It kind of depends on the tone of whatever you end up writing for mm. themes for the show, in right. a way, because it does make you look more sinister. It makes you look darker. Oh, I've heard, I, I've been told that makes me look a little older. It does make you look older for cool. sure, and that's good. Um, uh, yeah. It depends. I don't know. Um, yes. I think. Uh, Simon was telling me once about... I'm actually going to bring him up later again. Um, uh, but he was telling me about a show at Booby Trap he went to where a comedian was doing um, this joke about his uh, his hair going white. He was going white, um, his hair and his beard. And he said, uh, at first, I was upset about this because I didn't want to look older. But then I realized women liked it more. And the reason they liked it more is they're just so desperate to find any signs of maturity in a man. <laughs> and so... Uh, yeah, actually, you know, the other thing is, like, see how you do with this goatee. Yeah. Um. Uh, Look, since I, I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna be honest, audience. We gotta be honest with ourselves. Since I put a photo of myself with a goatee on some of my dating apps, my it's gone up. It's gone up a little bit, not hey. a lot. I still look um, like me, but it's still well. You know. Then by then by my this is a purely scientific extension of that. You should have hair all over your face then. Right. I should look like uh, the, cousin it, from like the wolf boy. Because <laughs> I mean, if you're getting a little uptick based on right. a it's small percentage of your face having hair, right? If less is more, more is better. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, first of all, I think if you like the way it looks more than without, it seems like you significantly like having it. It's fun. It, it feels weird. I like it. Oh, this is a, that maybe the third time I've grown it. Uh huh. For longer than a couple weeks. Um, in my life, and right now, I think it's 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 been about three and a half weeks. This is a little bit fuller than it has been at this stage in the past. So yeah. I think that's that's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, so I think that the like the base thing of like if you like looking at yourself with it more than not, that's a very good reason to just keep it. Right. Okay, and then we you can like work whatever else in terms of your photos and all that stuff mm-hmm. around that. The second thing is, I think that it does depend a little bit on how what how you want to present yourself. Like if you're the castle, I think that if then I would if we're doing a castle show, I would probably tell them not to give you an intro that's like he was too, he was too young to be in the castle well, uh, mm. with the goatee because then it's like right because the that intro kind of gives you the like you know young thing like here's this upstart with all his new new fresh ideas and you come in and like right with a cane <laughs> yeah exactly well, back in, in 1935 you came in the thurston cane. stood before an audience and challenged the my idea was to do magic for black and whites at the same time <laughs> no one had done it and no one's done it since <laughs> oh we gotta talk about rupaul yeah we do have to remember RuPaul. um um so i didn't write that down, so it also depends on the i i think that you probably sh- uh, think I, i'm this is the way i'm thinking about it Doing a stand-up act completely is different for you, so yes. why not just like lean into it and just have a goatee too, and just like see what kind of character you end up with. Right. Doing that, I think. Now, here's one thing: I have no idea what the answer to, and maybe you should like pay attention to while you perform over the next month or so in L.A. with this goatee. Is are you funnier with or without the goatee? Right. Um, I'm pretty convinced that I so I have a mustache right now, and yeah. I'm pretty convinced that my that people think I'm funnier in improv shows, really, <laughs> because of it. Uh, I don't know if that's true. It might just be that I think it's funnier looking. Um, but so I would just think about that. Like if you if you, I guess if you're writing like routines for the show that are like, <laughs> I don't know, me and my pops were playing catch in the back of the yard, right. and then then the ball turned into a bird. I mean. Feel free to take that. Yeah, that's we good. know how good that is. That's good comedy. Um, but you know what I mean, like <laughs> Me if, and my pops. If there were things that were depending on you coming across as like a young right. kid, then I wouldn't grow it. Right. But I have a feeling you're probably not going to write stuff like that. 
Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have a uh, a piece about me being a five year old boy, and I'm gonna have a propeller beanie on. <laughs> yeah, and then the beanie like floats you up. That'd be yeah, cool. That'd be fun. That might exist. Um, I bet someone's done that. Like a beanie that makes you float. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, not really. Like a magic trick that suggests that. Do people on stage ever do that? Um, that levitation where you just like stand up with your heels. Um, no, because it's so angly that it's impo- it's yeah, so yeah, hard yeah. to control for an audi- a real audience. Was that a thing? It when looks you were, good on camera. When you were in juniors, was that a thing of like, did you see this? Like, let's all try to do it. I no, um, not really. I think I had heard people. I'd heard people talk about it, and then someone would try it, and you'd be like, "No, it doesn't look good." Yeah. All is right. there is there a lot of socializing in juniors of like, you know, did you see this thing? I don't remember. I just kind of remember hanging out. I don't remember like, oh, did you watch this? Yeah. We weren't watching a lot of stuff. So there was not a lot of shop talk about magic. No, because at the time I would say that, or maybe I just wasn't finding it, but there wasn't this huge, like that, you know, that was, I mean, I honestly, I think that was because I joined like 2009 on Mm. the, the earlier days of like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Um, Especially for, you know, 13, 14-year-olds. We are sort of getting into this. I would say that the, the culture of, like, let's all talk about the thing we're watching didn't really come until a couple years later. You know? Also, the culture of, of magic being such a social media phenomenon. Right. I think that not that certainly hadn't existed yet. And it was a lot of the people I was in the junior program with that are forging that path, sort of. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yes. When I was, like, when I when I pitched a joke to Kevin Lee and I was just like, you know what, you're gonna go far in this business. <laughs> right. Like on Instagram, he's got like 150,000 right. followers. So like him, and, uh, there's a few other people. Um, um, you might be one of the last generations that kind of even remembers not having a phone like when you were very young. I do. I remember that. Yeah, when I when I, I got my first cell phone in sixth grade, uh-huh. and then it was like a flip phone because iPhone didn't exist for till 2008. Yeah. Um, and I never used it. I never like. I would leave it at, like my. It was. I would get in trouble because I would leave it at home all the time. Right. Uh, and then I would. Um, I'd forget about. Because you it. wanted an analog rotary phone. Right. All right. <laughs> uh, I wanted to feel like I was in Three's Company. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I know I never use it because I. I just had, like the yeah. Only person would call me was my dad, and I knew it was gonna. Or you know, I, I can't remember why, but it, was, it took me a while to get acclimated to it. And then I, eventually I got an iPhone and then, you know, that all changed. But yeah, but I remember not having a phone. I remember not ha- having a phone that I didn't like and didn't care about. Mm-hmm. And then I remember having a phone that sucked. I had a Razer phone that I thought was going to be awesome. And it was the worst phone I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. Was uh, that the one that played uh, iTunes? Um, I don't remember. It was there like was really the, thin the very first Apple phone was a Razer. Yeah, very thin. Yeah. Silver and like it had, you could access iTunes on it. Maybe you could access iTunes. Uh, and then like the next year they were like. But I wouldn't get calls on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then like a voicemail would show up three days later. <laughs> of course, there was always those that would be like, John, we're seeing a movie tonight, right now. You need to call us immediately. John, your house is on fire. And then I never got to see Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> really? Have no, you never I, seen no, it? No, I've seen it. That's really good. Kung Fu Panda is a great movie. Yeah. Um, um, the, uh, the Because I can't imagine what it would be like to be like a kid that from like two years old was like handed an iPad to like occupy myself, which I, you see a lot. Yeah. And I, I, people can parent however they want. I just think that like, I feel like as adults, we are pretty phone addicted. Yeah. And I feel the pull of phone and I'm one of the least phone addicted people that I know. Like I don't really like, I'm not checking it all the time, but if I, how would you resist it if you grew up with it since the age of two? I know. Like, there's really it's no... Like, yeah, it's part of your identity. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you got to be careful of that. So, just another chapter in my book called, I'm Grateful I'm Not Younger. <laughs> um, because when I look at my like how much college costs for me, I'm very grateful. Where did you go to college? <laughs> uh, the North Carolina School of the Arts. Mm. And uh, my memory is that it was expensive because okay. I was out of state. 60 cents... Well, I found an old bill of mine, and uh, for like a semester, the tuition was seven thousand oh dollars, and then I believe I was an RA, so I wasn't paying oh. for room and board. So like the whole expense for the whole semester was like ten thousand dollars. Incredible. And then my last year, I got like they paid for some of my stuff. So my last year, I paid like six thousand dollars for the whole year. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I hate hearing stories about like. For me, tuition was. As many empty tin cans as I could yeah, carry yeah. in a recycling center. Well, and then it still took me until I was like 30 to pay off my student loans. Right. Like, it still took me a long time. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, you know what? 
this whole being alive thing, get out of it, kids. It's not worth it. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, did you go for four years? Yes. Because I went for two years, uh-huh. and I took out a $50,000 loan. Whoa. Um, for the two years or per year? Uh, two years. Okay. So, like, the total. Wow. And that was even after two years of community college. Anyway, uh, back to magic. Um, since you uh, were talking about the tone of my show and sort of the character of my show... Um, Something I've been thinking about and something I've been struggling with bringing Simon Cornell back up again is something we talked about. I was talking to him about the show. I was pitching him my, my ideas and kind of you know picking his brain, and he has a lot, of, a lot of really valuable insights. And we were talking about that. Oh, we are talking about one idea I, I had, which would be a premise about sort of joking about self-awareness and magic, and that the one thing that magic has taught me in my life is to be very, very self-aware of how other people are viewing me mm-hmm. because you're constantly having to tell people you do this ridiculous and strange, bizarre thing for a living. And they always react in some very, very honest way. Mm-hmm. And even if they try to stifle that reaction, you can, you can easily cut through what they gave you to get to the truth behind it. Yeah. Or they ask you a very innocuous question about like money or something. You can re- you can really get to the truth of like, are you, is this real? Or is this dumb? You know, um, so the idea, the the premise is I want to do a prediction thing where I, I can, I give someone a topic. I go, I'm going to ask you a question about what you think about magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ask them a couple personal questions, like a, a couple light personal questions. And then based off that conversation, I'm able to perfectly predict exactly what they're going to say about like, oh, tell me, give me a very descriptive adjective about what you think about when you think about magic. Mm-hmm. And they go, you know, bizarre or exciting or, you know, annoying. Uh, and then one of them was the whole. Pr- this all came from me wanting to say uh, uh, something that people said to me in middle school when they were bullying me. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this joke. Yes, yes, yes. I'll tell the audience. But uh, the, then one of them would be if you're. Let's say we were in middle school and you were going to make fun of me. And you know that I look like this. You know that my name is John Accardo. And you know that I do magic. What is a? Uh, what is the? You know, I ask them a couple questions, give them a second to think about it, and then I say, what is the insult that you would? say to me if you're going to bully me in middle school and then I'm going to predict exactly what it was through extensive experience and then when they say whatever it is uh, I would have predicted that and I, I will say just for your uh, just for the record though you are wrong the correct answer was John Retardo mm-hmm. and then I would move on uh, and I just want to be able to say that on stage because I think it's such a fucking mean name <laughs> it hurt my feelings so much in middle <laughs> school and I want to be able to say that on stage uh, what if they say that name um, I will uh, maybe I'll have it like tattooed on my arm or something. Be like, that's what they said. <laughs> I, I like some really anchored way to be like, not only did I predict that, but fucking here it is. Yeah, actually, so you take it blood. as just a, a hit, an right. early hit. On <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so that so anyway, I call this fishing for insults. <laughs> right. Uh, that's a funny name. Yeah. Um, so what I've been. So I've been pitching him these ideas, and and when I said like, what does something mean? You would say to me, what is something you know you would make fun of me for doing magic for, and and then Simon said you have to be careful with that, and he said you need to add something like, let's pretend we're in middle school, let's pretend you were gonna say something mean to me. He goes because if they came to see your show, you you see this a lot, and so you're pretty pessimistic about magic, but you might forget that the audience isn't. They just probably paid you know money to watch a magic show, yeah, yeah. and they are not in a spot where they're gonna want to say something mean about magic. And you have to be really careful about that. And I thought that was very interesting. And we talked more about that and some of the danger behind, like, self-deprecating jokes and how that kind of pigeonholes you into this sort of one idea of, like, isn't magic kind of dumb? Uh-huh. Which I thought like was... you apologizing for magic before the audience has even, right. you know, had any negative thoughts about it. Um, which, yes, exactly. Which has led me to this interesting discussion I've been having with myself for about a week and a half now about the, di- the distinction between honesty and pessimism. Uh-huh. I want to make this show as honest as possible. Right. And sometimes when you're honest about something, when you bring any when you know, when you bring anyone closer to something, they're going to see the cracks, you know, mm. that they wouldn't have seen from further away. Right. That being said, I also don't want to be like this is dumb and stupid and there's so many problems with this. I don't know why I do that. You know what I mean, cuz sometimes like look, if you want to go out and have a good time and you watch a comedian talk about how fucking sad they are and angry are they are about everything, sometimes it's a bit of a bummer, you know? Yeah, I don't mind that, but yeah. Uh, I, but, I take your point. <laughs> but for the audi- average audience, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, right. Sometimes you want to see something silly. Well, the main thing is that you don't. Like sometimes want I want to... to go see an improv show and see you and Ashley sing about silly stuff instead of watching Mark Maron bitch about another thing. You oh, know? I mean, I want to do anything in the world except watch Mark Maron do comedy. Uh, um, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, uh, do and I put comedy in air quotes. 
Um, <laughs> um, he didn't actually do it just now. He didn't actually. Make I didn't the actually quotes. do that. My actually, my air quotes. My my air quotes were in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like for instance, I had an idea about. Uh, so I've been really struggling with this. How do I do this inner monologue thing? Where yeah, I thought of something for that. Uh, oh, cool. Just uh, now, actually. Oh, great. Well, like, so the, so for the, if I can't remember if I said it on the podcast. I think I have. But the premise is that I would do sort of a pretty classic effect, like a pick a card, find a card trick. And I'll explain why I want that for this in a minute. But the idea is that the there is a lot of very cool and very interesting and very intricate stuff that's going on inside a magician's head as they're performing, right? The way they're scanning an audience looking for someone to pick. Um, or at least the way I do it. I can't speak for everyone. Yeah. And, and too often you just see like who's the hottest chick in this room, um, and then that's who they'll pick. Uh, which maybe I'll comment on. But see, I don't want to comment on shit like that. Yeah. Uh, but at either rate, so like for me, you know, I look who's gonna be the. Have the I best. would actually love it if you did that, and it's an afternoon crowd, and it's like who's the hottest fucking <laughs> lady here. And I mean, no offense about afternoon theater goers, but like right. I, that would actually probably be, might be pretty who's the sexiest mama in this. That crowd. would actually be pretty enjoyable. When I bring um, up a, uh, a seven year old woman. Sorry, know. just to go back to the thing you're asking about um, the insult thing. Are you going to bring people up on stage for this? Probably not. I'll probably okay. have them stand and okay. talk about something and I'll interview them for a second. Um, uh, is there more you wanted to ask about that? Uh, no. Oh, because the thing about like, there could be some fun to be had there if you brought up a, like the sweetest looking man or woman. Right. Oh, and, and oh, kind of force force them, them to like say something mean, say something mean to you. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, what's that's the actual point. mentalism part of this? Like, what's the actual effect? Is that a pr- I, would, I would, before they answered, I would predict, I would write down and predict. Oh, that's the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. what they were going to say about whatever thing this was. A, okay. a, a skill that has come from years of, of being I able see. to read people so well. So this is not, there's not actually a mentalism aspect, like a trick to it. What do you mean? Oh, or is that, or is the, the insulting a prelude to another effect? The idea right now is. I'm going to ask you to insult me. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you for a second, learn about you, and then I'm going to perfectly predict exactly what you'll say. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Oh, and then the the joke you said is just an afterthought. Be right. Like, oh, by the just, way. Just, like, yeah, just yeah, so yeah, you yeah. know, the correct answer was this. <laughs> okay. And then they'll all pull back, and I'll go, yeah, I also didn't like. I feel, and do you have feel, a uh, method for this? Yes, I do. Oh, cool. This is going to be one of those times where right now I'm comfortable using a marketed effect. Yeah. Because I think I have a very, very clear vision, and my vision came before the before the. You went to go find the method to help you with the effect, basically. Yes, I had an idea like, oh, I want to do this. I want to talk about this mean thing people said to me, right. and I want to have a bit of information about the way you're able to read people because you do magic, because people always react to it in a bizarre way, which are all true things. Right, this right. is something shitty something said to me uh, in middle school. This is a real thing that I can kind of am, am better at because of magic. This is sort of my day-to-day is, is being able to interpret very subtle signs from people to pick up on what they think about magic. Right. Um, and uh, I, went on, like, I went on a date with someone about a month and a half ago, and then we uh, since then we've just been, become friends. And, and she, she like when she signed the tip for the meal she just wrote with her nail right at, at the tip and you were like huh <laughs> but like i could tell we talked about magic a little bit and i could and, and she was being very polite but i could kind of tell that i was getting polite disinterest yes yes and so then uh when we now we're just now we're just friends and we were hanging out and again and i and i had mentioned that and she's just like no no and she you know you could tell that i'd gotten it yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But she was still being very nice about it, which is it's fine. You don't have to like magic. But so that 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 is where that idea came from. I said, "How can I give you an honest look about being a magician?" Which is kind of the whole premise of the show, right? And my answer to that was, "Well, I, this is a thing that I can do. Here's sort of a, a you know one of the the harder ways that has happened to me um, through this sort of mean name uh, that I think is hilarious now because yeah. it's such a good. I mean, man, objectively speaking, that's a ten out of ten bully name." Uh, John Retardo, ten out of ten. That's per- that's that's incredible for a man for a seventh grader. That's the best bit of writing that seventh grader has ever done. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, if I could, yeah, uh, that's great. <laughs> um, anyway, that kid's name Anthony Jeselnik. <laughs> right. Uh, so. I, I I had a very clear idea of what I wanted, and I I keep forgetting the name of it. I need to buy one, but it's that um, effect. Harrison Greenbaum does it with uh, uh, a couple people do it. Um, it's like has six uh, spots, 
It's like two rows of three squares. Is this you not write one on the top and you close it. I can't remember the name. Is of this it. not mental epic? Mental epic. Thank okay. you. I always forget the name of it. Uh-huh. Mental epic. Uh, um, that's been around for a while, right? Oh yeah. Okay. And so that's a time where uh, I'm less concerned about like, oh, this exists and people are doing it because wh- the reason I'm I, I didn't decide. Oh, I want to buy a mental epic and write something for it. Yeah. I had I said this is what I want to do. What could fit it well into this? And I went, oh, something where I can pr- you know. Um, here's a good, effective method for immediately, immediately writing down a prediction before – because now I don't have to have a prediction you know, in the audience the whole time or, right. or I can have it uh, – well, I can f- make it in front of them and then – How do you feel deal. about the idea that I've heard bandied about a lot, which is that after the show, you want the audience to want to talk to you about you as opposed to your tricks? Um, yeah, that um, because this know, seems like right in that line of like if your framing of it is funny and interesting enough, then the method is like part of it, but the method is kind of just illuminating the right. the point you want to make or right. whatever. Yeah, I mean, look if the audience enjoys the show and if if they come if, if they leave with some interesting like oh I didn't know that about actually being a magician that's kind of the goal yeah well also of course this goes that saying making the magic very very strong if they go oh that is what it's like to be a magician I don't think he's a very good magician but that's what it's like right right, right. Uh, I wonder no, what it's like for it, a good I think I think um, I guess the one thing is if you might get reactions of just like man you were really funny I, lo- I really like this show um and I thought the stuff you're talking about was interesting as opposed to being like oh that one thing where you vanished the thing was cool mm-hmm I think maybe one is more uh, illustrative of like you having a unique show than right. the other. So, uh, like, okay, so so going back to the um, principle of uh, pessimism, mm. what I think about when I leave this is like, for instance, so this inner monologue thing. The idea is that um, you know the way I select an audience member. Or, or you know, think about a card trick you've done. Somebody go, you say, pick a card. Someone aggressively goes for the top card uh-huh. and tries to snatch it out of your hand really forcefully, right? That tells you immediately a lot about the spectator. And uh, you're Im- the moment they do that, you're going to um, sort of recalibrate the way you're going to perform this effect. Uh-huh. And you're going to, you know, if you're going to probably change the amount that you interact with the spectator. You're probably not going to ask them to shuffle the cards. You know, they're, because they're going to turn around or something. Or what you're going to do is you're going to have them pick out the card and then you're going to hold it. You're going to show it around and you'll put it back in the deck and you'll shuffle it or something like that. Yeah. You won't let them hold because then if they take the card, you kind of know that personality type. You know that they're going to take the cards and go, let me put it in. Let me, you know. So there's like even just reaching forward and picking a card, even if they haven't really said much yet, that happens and you immediately adapt to it. And you immediately are thinking about how to adapt to it. And you're immediately thinking steps down the trick. You go, well, later I need to do this. I need to have this card on the top so I can palm it and do whatever. Right. Um, right. If you're doing a palm, you're constantly looking around to see where you're not super apparently, but you're, you're sort of analyzing where people are standing. You're analyzing angles. You're, and then that is, you're using that to change your stance and you're using that to change your position. You're using yeah. that, you're using if you need to, you do a, a back kick to like, push them out of the way <laughs> exactly so these are all things that are very interesting about you know who do you pick why do you pick them i look for someone that you know uh, that's uh, arguably audience selection is one of the most important parts of an effect if mm-hmm. you use an audience member is picking the right person who's going to help the trick do it well and also be a good energy that you can play with them a little bit have some fun with them to, to enhance the enjoyment of the audience. If they're too weird and too awkward, it's going to be uncomfortable. If they're too over the top, it's going to ruin the momentum of the effect and mm-hmm. you'll, it'll be impossible to hit, land the way you want it to land. All of those things, I think, are really interesting. And I think they really add to this depth of uh, how interesting magic can be at its best. I think a lot of people don't really know that. I, I found that a lot of people were kind of thinking that, like, I learn a trick and I do the trick, the end. And they weren't thinking it was as deep as comedy or music or theater. So that is something I want uh, to put into this. However, how honest do you get without sounding like you're a pessimistic asshole? And, I, and again, the audience coming to a magic show, they're probably not that pessimistic about magic. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. Right? If you're yeah. paying $10 to see a magic show, you're probably not like, magic's kind of dumb, right, guys? You yeah. probably want to see good magic. And so, if, for instance, a joke I came up with, not a joke so much, but again, an honest thing where I go, oh, this, like, I, I'm thinking about an arc in this trick where the, the trick doesn't work. And I, and I drop all the cards. And I go, oh, shit. And then, and then you hear me in my head thinking about my way out of this. What if I have the name of the card and then I just, you know, pull it out and I hide it and do the, something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, they, I have the name of the card and I call it and then I palm it. 
or whatever. So what I do is like just do a different trick, and then I would bring out linking rings. Uh huh. And then the, the the monologue that I have would go uh, would go. Oh no, people don't like linking rings. That's too old. No one likes seeing that anymore. And so I put them away. Uh huh. Uh, right. Something like. And then uh, uh, that's honest. You know, Josh J. Um, in that study he put out in 2016 called uh, "What Do Audiences Really Think?" the psychological study he he did with uh, Dr. Lisa Grimm um, at that college in New Jersey, and then he talked about it at Magic Live. They said people's least favorite thing about magic wasn't like the hack, um, cheesy nature of it, which was the second most thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but the number one thing was old tricks. So they think they've seen something that's really old, like the linking rings. It's one of the most iconic magic tricks of all time, if not the most iconic. Uh, hurts and bores an audience. They don't like that as much as seeing something that they feel is newer and fresher. Huh. That's uh, and that's like data that they that they collect. Also, I will say that like linking rings and cups and balls, like I think. It's part of it is like the routines are so old. Right. Like I I think that the linking rings and the cups and balls are potentially interesting if people had been putting in like 30 years of like, oh, I can't do that anymore. I got to do something new. Right. And then maybe we'd be at a new place. I don't know. Um, So wait, I have an idea for you. What, what is the, what do you think the final effect is of this inner monologue? thing? No idea yet, but well, I, I have some thoughts on that. But my my ultimate point there is that I like I, I would be hesitant to use a line like that about the linking rings because while that is honest that uh, the linking rings has and I, I know you're gonna you can you know say oh but you, you can reference the five people that have really good linking. I rings. I think you should team. actually pass out that study. Right. Uh, <laughs> I should hand it out as a little leaflet. But while that is honest and not necessarily just a dig, it sounds kind of pessimistic to an audience that might not know about that. And so I, I, how do you get honest about, like, here's some real things about magic. Oh, people maybe overdo this trick because they don't know that uh, audiences tend to think it's um, a little overdone, even though we consider it a classic and think it has longevity. How do you juxtapose that with, like, I don't want to make – I don't want you to – pay ten dollars to watch an hour of me like complain about magic i won't pay ten dollars either i gotta pay 12 pounds oh right 12 pounds uh, <laughs> um uh do you consider yourself a generally optimistic or pessimistic person i try i not what you try <laughs> i think i'm more optimistic okay i i think i am a very pessimistic person that's why i like comedy so much i think comedy comes from often a very pessimistic place uh-huh. uh and i think the comedy that i think i like the most is very pessimistic and i think i like to laugh at silly things in the world that being said i find that pessimistic things recently things with a pessimistic spirit um are are bothering me like uh, for instance watching youtube videos that have been done a lot recently on like marvel movies and stuff you know the cinema sins like everything wrong with oh, this I hate, movie. i hate those um Stuff like that used to be kind of fun, and now I'm I, I don't like them. There's this guy that does these vi- uh, videos called pitch meetings. You ever seen those uh-uh. on Screen Rant? It's him as a writer pitching to a network network executive. Like he does it mostly with Marvel movies. He'll uh-huh. Be like, you know, Spider Man Homecoming, uh, Homecoming, the pitch meeting, and it's him talking about this idea for a, Mar- a Spider Man movie. And it's the network executive going like, "Isn't that really dumb and stupid that we would do that?" And he's like, "Yeah, totally, but it'll be fine." You know, it's a lot of those. Yeah, and they're funny, and they make really interesting points about like some of the absurdity of the plot of these movies. But they come from a really pessimistic place, which started to like wear down on me. Yeah, and yeah, so now yeah. someone actually made an alternate thing about and instead of the cinema sins, everything wrong with this movie called everything great, and it's just like the same fifteen minute format of like counting like thing one by one the things that are really good about this movie. That's funny. And I found that I like that so much more because it comes from a positive place of love. Right. So I think ultimately I try to be a more optimistic person. Yeah. Huh. Oh, the the reason I'm asking is the. The association with things being more honest and being more pessimistic is interesting because I don't think I necessarily think that there have to be linked. Mm-hmm. Well, and like for instance, when I saw Endgame for the second time, there were a lot of kids in the theater. Uh-huh. I was with my sister and my sister-in-law, and there was this kid next to this kid next to them was probably five, six years old. What? And Why? He, exactly. Uh, and he was he talked a lot, and it was annoying. But I was like, and they were just they were furious about it when we left. They like. They were like, "Who fucking brings this kid to the movie?" Oh, you know, uh-huh. uh, afterwards, and they kept like, you know, doing this. Uh, and I thought it was like, I thought it was really, I mean, yeah, the kid was probably a little too young and didn't understand because he kept asking questions like, "Who is that?" You know, <laughs> is that Iron Man? And he'd be flying like, around an Iron Man. Wh- what is what is death? <laughs> right. Uh, oh, he went to like so like <laughs> Thanos got his head. Uh, <laughs> head caressed. Head caressed. Wait, wait, let's, let's we'll cut that. Can we cut that? Yeah, yeah. But like, uh, 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 so, like something would happen to someone, and someone would be clearly dead, and then the kid would be like, uh, 
did he die? And yeah. it was like very obvious they were on the ground bleeding, you know, and they were dead. Yeah. Um, there were a couple times I will say in that movie where I was like, what happened? Like, because I feel like they're aggressively not trying to show any like graphic mm-hmm. violence that there's a couple things that uh, if you described them to someone, they'd be like, that's very graphic what happened. Right. And they shot them in a way that I was like, uh, I think I blinked and missed what actually happened mm-hmm. there. Um, so the- anyway, all, all that to say is that I thought it was like, well, they, they got really angry at the end of the movie. And I thought it was really like, it was kind of beautiful. This dad, like that maybe really loved and cared about these movies brought like a son. And there was something they sort of shared and sort of introducing him to this, you know, idea. well, you were, what was it their second time as well? So no, you, it was their first time. That might have changed it. Yeah. Cause the, you had less pressure to like, even you knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. So like, if you were going for your very first time to see Avengers Endgame, probably and true. Guess, like probably true. These kids next year. Right. Um, I think all that to say that I'm a try to be a very optimistic person. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, the so I wouldn't necessarily think that being more honest about it has to be more pessimistic. Um, the other thing that I thought was, I actually think that you can probably do the stuff that you're talking about without necessarily like a theatrical mode change of talking about it. Okay. So it's possible that you could write a routine that is just like, you know how about I let you guys in on what I'm thinking about? See, like normally I would go here and I would ask uh, you to pick from uh, like pick a card from this spread. Uh, And, and now you're very aggressively going like, just tell them like what you're thinking as it goes. This Mm -hmm. is one option. Um, And then basically ride the wave of everything they're doing. Like take this part of the show to really comment on every single thing that you notice that they're doing. Right. And maybe it ends up being almost a version of the trick that can, cannot be described explained. Or, yeah explained so that you're getting to some final uh end result but you might actually take us through the thought process of like oh i oh i dropped the cards oh i didn't move the card where i needed to i need right. to change to something else and then i would be careful about exactly what method you're showing right uh, I, I, i'm not so worried about me- uh i'm not that was just an example yeah. i'm probably not gonna like this is the method but i think you could but like, I think, yeah, if I you, drop the you cards, could drop the cards, people will be, go, oh, what the fuck is he going to do? You could also, if you wanted to, bring people up and have them have them do all the things that you normally don't, like have them handle the cards and like shuffle them and like ride if they happen to drop them, like use that. Right. Like do some of the more risky audience management behaviors and then deal with it in the in pursuit of getting to some effect that you can land at the end of it Mm -hmm. and having them sort of be part of the process of going through the whole thing. So that's one option is just to just talk through it directly with them. Right. Uh, I thought of this other option, which is actually would be a great cross promotion for Voldemort and the Teenage Hogwarts music parody, which is that you have Verita serum and you drink it by accident. And then like, you can't help but tell them all these things, which is the thing that happens in that show. And I thought of it independently. And then I was like, Oh wait, it actually happens in the other show that I'm producing. That's funny. Um, I'll have uh, Fiona bring it out to me. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be a um, alternative uh, costume. A diff- yeah, yeah, it would be like the characters from the other show, and then before she leaves, she'll be like, "If you want to see more about our story, come to Assembly Studio One at then, five p.m." And then they just do a song from it right yeah. there. I mean, that'll kill time. Yeah, um, that would be an alternate version of the uh, mind reading spray thing that you mm-hmm. had mentioned to me. Right, that was another Simon idea. Um, the linking rings thing, I think that you could talk about them, but I also think you should do some of the linking rings. So, like, uh, as you are saying, like, you know, nobody wants to see this. Everybody, like, the script would not, should not reveal method, but it should, like, talk about, like, you know, nobody likes linking rings. People just see them, and then, like, obviously these two are not, like, linked, and then you just put them through. Like, y- you talk about why people don't want to see it as you're doing it mm-hmm. and presumably doing it well and having it still be like visually interesting. Right. And then you just put them away. Right. I think that would be an interesting way to do it. Um, and it would also be a way to like give them a little more magic, like in the midst of a, like a comedic huh. script. Um, like in general, I like that idea of you talking about something almost like while you're doing it. Right. I, I like that in routines in general when people are like, uh, like the, I love that old Alex Elmsley video 
where he's yeah, telling I you seen this, what you're telling me about this where he's telling the audience about all the tricks that he could do but he can't because he doesn't have the correct cards on him and it's just elmsley i guess it's just Elmsley. i have no idea how it's done like there's so many cards that, in his hands mm-hmm. and he keeps going like you know well i could do the trick with all the kings but it turns out you know like and and he's literally doing the exact trick he's talking about but he keeps telling the audience why he can't do it that that disconnect between what i'm seeing and what he's saying i think is very like kind of interesting right. to my brain um so i think that i think this is definitely worth pursuing and i actually think it's probably the most uh it it is very on theme for what we've pitched the show as the, into, what you, this, like, the monologue thing or yeah like? yeah because like um we've kind of pitched it as like you rev- you revealing your thought process on how right. you put your show together. So like this is a very good example of that. Um, right now, my two favorite ideas are are uh, along the lines of like having a narrator talk over me. Yeah. Um, and having someone like Ben Trader do like do like either narration, you know, in the form of like those old like I said to you those old Disney cartoons with yeah. Goofy, where you know he's teaching him to plug in his cable and watch this or go camping, you know, and he keeps messing everything up. Yeah. Um. And he's like, well, Goofy forgot to do you know that all that stuff. Uh, another one idea I had was if he did like a David At- David Attenborough esque thing, yeah, uh, with his British accent, and he's narrating over, and I'm you know, he's like, now watch as John tries to you know, put the cards back in the box. Oh, he drops you know stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I would vote for things that don't have an external element to them mm-hmm. because I think that it's hard to plan. It's not that it's too hard to plan, but it's very rigid then. That chunk of your show will feel very, like, you're not going to be able to go off of it very easily. Sure. So it's going to be a lot more like a... That's true. Restrictive That's true. acting exercise. Mm-hmm. Where I think if... You, and remember that you're doing this show 27 times in a row. Right. Um, so I think the fun of having that little chunk be kind of like literally riding off of what you're getting from the audience and everything they do is fair game for you to comment on right would be fun for you and would take advantage of like when it which i think is one of your strengths is that interaction mm-hmm. so i also feel like that will be probably something that most magicians wouldn't do like it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like most magicians would have a chunk of their set that's like Almost more like a Jim Gaffigan stand-up chunk. Right. Where, I mean, you may or may not use a separate voice, but, like, the way he uses that other voice to, like, mm-hmm. kind of comment on what's happening. Right. Um, I think it would be very interesting. Um, and I think it would feel... I feel like the more it can feel like a direct connection between you and us, the better. The recorded narrative thing i think could be funny it puts a burden on it for it to be very funny like it has the the writing of that needs to be really funny um as opposed to if you're doing it yourself live you will get a laugh just from like acknowledging behaviors that people have seen so so far the only real concrete idea i have as far as a trick because then a trick could be anything yeah the idea i have is i think it needs to be a pretty classic pick a card trick yeah the reason why is because that is so inherently a very um, relatable and understandable premise to an audience. Yeah. Even if they haven't seen a specific one recently, they kind of know the formula. They can kind of feel the rhythm. Right. Um, and it feels like it'd be too much to try to introduce them to two new ideas at once. Right. One being like, look, you're going to hear everything and, that I'm yeah. thinking. And also, you'll <clears throat> have to deal with this new type of magic that you're not familiar with. Um, and, <laughs> right. and, and you don't know how to follow along. Like you need something you can kind of anchor to, while I'm subverting your expectations in a bizarre way. What are the plots? What are the classic pick a card plots? Like, what are they? What do you mean? Like, what are they? You know how it's like? There's twisting the aces, and there's I don't know. Pick other a card. Ones. Find like, it. Like, <laughs> pick a oh, pick a card. Find it. Uh, I mean, like, do you have anything in your repertoire that is in that? field yeah i have plenty of stuff i mean uh, that that you enjoy doing well like if you were to do a uh if you were to do a um like a card to impossible location yeah i think that would do pretty well Uh uh-huh i think oftentimes those are more predictable than magicians think they are like there's the lemon on the table where's (laughs) the card (laughs) they'll be like the lemon random lemon the lemon 
Uh-huh. Um, so I think that is still a, a, a familiar plot to an audience or an understandable plot to an audience. I have, uh, is your thing of going into the Mark Wilson book, is that a, is that like that? Or is that a different, would you call that a different trick? That's a card to impossible. Uh, because yeah. I have a suggestion for you. Could we do it in the fringe brochure? Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Of like, look at all these shows you have to pick from. Like, how many pages is the fringe brochure? Yeah, it's probably 300 or something like that. Uh, that's that's an option. Yeah, it's a pretty thick book. I'll I'll get I'll get one in like July. They mail it out to me. Um, because that could be something that like could um, like even credibly be like in the aisle under someone's seat mm. or just like out like not part of your show mm-hmm. um or even in the tech booth or something like that right uh yeah, yeah, yeah. if someone has a fringe brochure i could sw- swap it i could switch it for mine that would be cool they're big they're like magazine size right uh but there's probably a way to do that um yeah that'd be interesting uh what you oh those are two ideas for that um how are you feeling about the show in general terrified <laughs> unprepared bad <laughs> good uh i will say for fringe shows a lot of people like especially like uk local theater groups and a lot of like this is how it was when we did orlando fringe there was a distinct difference between out of town people and orlando people the orlando people literally throwing their shows together like three weeks before the fringe right just because it's like their local thing they do it every year blah, blah blah and edinburgh fringe is a little bit like that too there's a lot of people that like there is no way you will be the least prepared person at fringe wow. that i guarantee you won't even be in the bottom 50 percent wow <laughs> um and also by necessity you, you because you're a magician you definitely won't be because if you were a person just putting together a 30 minute stand-up show uh, and over there, there's like a, a more of a guideline of like people writing shows a lot, like like writing a new one hour show for every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more people there that like don't have anything right like at this point in the year. So you should feel good about that. You're not one of the worst people at the fringe. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else did I want to talk to you about? I now have- uh, we we will be at the same company that Luke Germain and Morgan West are going to be doing magic as well. Damn. So they're probably more prepared at this point yeah probably. i would hope i don't know what else do you want to talk about or we want to you want to we can call this episode and move into avengers talk uh oh <laughs> you want to bank one and do avengers yeah sure uh well let's talk about for a moment um uh rupaul oh uh to talk about that for a second and end on that or do you want to say that? actually let's say that for the next one because we're at an hour oh uh, here we are yeah uh so we're going to move on to the next episode, then, uh, and then we'll come back with more actual magic talk yeah. later. All right. Bye. Later. You've been listening to The Setup, discussions of comedy and magic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at setuppodcast. Shoot us an email. Our email is setuppod at gmail.com. That's setup uh, with two Ps. Um setup podcast yeah, yeah. that wasn't clear uh we also have a facebook page that is just the setup discussions and magic and comedy uh, also please give us a rating on itunes on um, itunes podcast uh give us a five star rating let people know you're enjoying it that will go a long way and if you're really enjoying it and you really want to support us give us uh a little bit of a donation on our patreon become a subscriber of this podcast yeah we don't have a patreon john God, you have to tell me these things before we record this now all right just stop or stop 